Welcome to the Five Smooth Stones podcast with Daniel Watts, the director of the EGM Institute. So glad you can join us today. We're in a little mini-series studying the Great Commission and children's ministry. And this week, we're looking at making disciples by teaching. My friend had completed his doctoral studies, and after all the research, writing, and scholarly activities, he was ready to celebrate. What followed was a series of parties, dinners, and celebrations with family, colleagues, friends, and at the end of all the celebrations, he went to dinner for a sort of quiet, intimate celebration with just his wife and children. They had made an enormous sacrifice, and he wanted to thank them as well as celebrate. He later confessed that the status of his doctorate and celebrations had sort of inflated his ego a bit. His daughter saw fit to help with that. During dinner, she asked her dad, Dad, now that you're a doctor, can you write prescriptions for medicine? He answered, "Uh, no, it's not that kind of doctorate, honey. It's an academic and scholarly degree. She replied, oh, so you're a doctor that can't help anybody. (laughs) Everyone laughed and his ego was deflated. Unfortunately, many of today's teachers, including many in the church, are teachers that can't help anybody. Extensive time and effort is made on communicating Bible knowledge and proper doctrinal truth with very little attention given to life transformation. In the final participle of the Great Commission, Jesus addresses this issue— As we have already noted, the Great Commission itself has only one imperative to make disciples, with three participles describing how that's done, going, baptizing, and today we look at the third and final, teaching. The final participle, teaching, is a concept at the very heart of children's ministry work. Children's ministry is definitely about teaching, and we need teachers to serve in children's ministry. In fact, teaching is a central aspect of the ministry, and that's why I'm going to explain what we mean by teaching. The Greek word from teaching for teaching is from the root dek, meaning to accept, extend the hand to, and the idea of repeatedly extending the hand for acceptance. The word therefore suggests this idea of someone causing someone to accept something. In its various forms, this word occurs 14 times in the Gospel of Matthew. Consider these observations about Jesus' teaching. Jesus taught in a variety of venues. He taught in synagogues. He taught in the open air. He taught at the temple. He taught and spoke with unique authority. Jesus taught people about himself, the kingdom of God, and the real meaning of the scriptures. Jesus' teaching was relevant to the real life of the people he spoke to, and he wanted people to live according to the lessons he taught. Jesus commissioned his disciples to teach others what he had taught them in Matthew 28, 20. In contrast to the mentioned only time notion of baptism, Matthew's gospel contains a great amount of Jesus' teaching, starting with his early teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and continuing through the whole gospel. Particularly important for children's workers is Jesus' reference to teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's set the scene. In Matthew 5, 1, we find out where Jesus was and who was with him. 
Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, it says he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them in Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Did you notice that the disciples were the primary focus of Jesus's teaching? This detail is significant because it clarifies the meaning of his later teaching in Matthew 5, 19 through 7, 27. Let me read how he kicks off that teaching in Matthew 5, 19 through 20. Anyone who sets aside one of these least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Imagine being one of Jesus' disciples and hearing that he wants your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees. Impossible, they thought. The Pharisees knew so well both the law and the commandments. They had studied them for years. How could you achieve that kind of righteousness, they must have thought. But, as if you're reading (laughs) reading your mind, another disciple reminds you that according to Jesus, the Pharisees had set aside their knowledge of God's law and his commandments. What they knew in their head did not impact or integrate into their life. Jesus, however, wanted his disciples to know the commands and practice them, unlike the Pharisees, and then teach them to others in the same way. Clearly in the Gospel of Matthew in general, and in this passage in Matthew 5 in particular, the Pharisees appeared to have problems on two fronts. First, the Pharisees did know Scripture very well. They could quote Scripture, cite the locations of specific texts, explain their meaning, teach their interpretation of the law. Their doctrines were all straight. However, the Pharisees were wrong about some critical points. Wanting them to understand and teach the truth of Scripture, Jesus corrected them on numerous occasions in Matthew 9, 12, 15. While the Pharisees' zealousness for the truth was admirable, their misunderstanding of some fundamental truths put them at odds with Jesus' teaching. They didn't know everything. And second, the Pharisees didn't do what they taught others to do. So, of course, they were also not transformed by what they taught. Jesus pointed this out in the famous woes passage of Matthew 23. There he forcefully condemned the Pharisees by using the term hypocrite seven times in a single passage. In the Greek world, hypocrisy described an actor in a play being someone they're not. Jesus' use of the word refers to the jarring contradiction between what the Pharisees said and what they did, between the outward appearance and the inward lack of righteousness. The Pharisees' understanding of God's truth was flawed. And furthermore, their actions did not align with what they taught. Similarly, their character was inconsistent and hypocritical with their own teaching. Now, maybe you can understand Jesus' teaching at the end of Matthew 5, that the disciples' righteousness can surpass that of the Pharisees, and it sounds more within reach. Followers of Jesus are to embrace the truth that God revealed in Christ Jesus, 
and the actions of his followers are, be, are to be consistent with that truth, and transformation of the heart will be the ultimate fruit. Going, baptizing, teaching, these are the three means by which disciples are made. Effective teaching presents God's truth in a way that compels children to live according to that truth, and as a result, to ultimately experience the transformation of their heart. Teaching in Jesus' day and today, and in the years in between, was limited frequently to the dissemination of facts, information, and truth. The Pharisees limited teaching to head knowledge and added falsehoods, misinformation, and mistakes as well as rules not found in the Torah. In addition to communicating accurate facts, correct information, and solid biblical truth, teaching also means giving learners the opportunity to respond to that revelation of truth with their actions, words, and life choices. The goal of Christ-like teaching was and is for hearers to live a transformed life, the life of a disciple. And nowhere is this understanding of teaching more essential than in our ministry among boys and girls. We can summarize it this way. Children need the truth. They need to be taught the truth of God's word. And our goal isn't the rote learning of various ideas from some random curriculum. Instead, we're to teach carefully designed Bible lessons that present children with truth from the Bible, and it connects to their real-life needs. Every week around the world, preachers look afresh at God's Word and communicate to the congregation the truth revealed to them as they've studied that Word. And children deserve no less. Activities, application, discussion, memory work, and the like are helpful only if they clearly teach Bible truth. And then we need to focus on practice. We need to effectively teach the Word of God to children. And we keep in mind the question, so what? In other words, we should be teaching toward application and life response. Truth trapped in the children's mind, in a child's mind, won't lead to actions that honor God. But application and practice don't come automatically. We need to teach not only God's truth, but also, this is crucial, the application and practice of God's truth. And finally, we should be concerned about character. The ultimate goal of effective teaching is the transformation of a child's heart. We're to teach in a way that positions children for God's abiding work in their heart. It's not enough for us to practice what we preach. Rather, the children, and we ourselves, should be transformed by practicing what we preach. Up to this point, Jesus had urged his disciples to go, baptize, and teach others in order to, quote, make disciples of all the nations. Next week, we'll conclude our mini-series with a look at the qualities and characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ, particularly a disciple who's a child. Thanks for joining us today for this Five Smooth Stones podcast, and I look forward to being with you at the same time again next week. And feel free to share this podcast with any other children's worker in your church or community. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Our next Five Smooth Stones podcast will be this same time next week. 
To learn more about life-changing children's ministry, check out the EGM Institute website at www.egminstitute.org.